for better or worse, the 300th episode is just me uh, trying to communicate a few ideas. I think there's a problem in terms of how to discuss policy when it comes to Iran. Um, the speeches among many October 17 members or affiliated uh, parties and candidates, uh, the speeches are quite eloquent at times. The words are carefully chosen. And I think the message is increasingly clear that this is an existential problem for the country. The eventual disarmament of the last Civil War era militia is a fundamental principle to reform. And then the question becomes, how do you get there? And I think it's a valid point. Just talking about it or pointing at it without addressing it head on, I think leads to confusion. And I think it lets the defenders or the so-called independents that prefer to be far more uh, careful and cautious and at times appear to be neutral on the issue. Um, I think they, uh, they get the upper hand when the side that's trying to address the issue is unable to properly address it. There's no point in um, talking for the sake of talking. I think uh, that's, there's, that, that's fruitless. Uh, the whole point is to create a resolution and to end conflict. And if you're talking to end conflict, that's great. But just elevating the pitch for the sake of it and trying to get a few extra voters, I don't think, uh, I don't think it matters. I don't think it adds up. So I think one healthier way to talk about Hezbollah and Iran is to say anyone who's running for parliament anyone who's trying to enter parliament, or anyone from any side of the story, whether they're October 17, former March 14 members, or even March 8, anyone in power in Lebanon doesn't have the tools necessary to address this issue. You simply cannot disarm Iran's army in Lebanon from Lebanon. You can't even approach the issue. Uh, I think... The language should change a bit in that Lebanon deserves uh, diplomacy with Iran. Lebanon deserves a normal relationship with Iran, not a concocted relationship. And I apologize for the, uh, for the guest on the podcast. He may be with us uh, the whole way through. Um, you can't expect these two countries to function when the embassy of Iran is Hezbollah, and when the embassy of Lebanon to Iran is Hezbollah, and they're both, both based in Lebanon, uh, that's not how state-to-state -state relations work. Put Malak down for a moment. He's excited because it's the 300th episode. Um, it doesn't work. You need to recreate the conditions that would allow for that. Now, how do you get there? I think it's something that should not be uh, shied away from in that it's fine for civil society, which is now in politics directly, to take upon itself the burden where previous attempts tried and failed. Uh, we deserve a deal. Vienna should not just be about the West and Iran, about nuclear technology. 
We deserve a deal. We deserve a city for it to be discussed. We deserve something that's been stolen away from us, and that's sovereignty. And the needed neutrality, which we briefly experienced in our modern history in the late 50s and 60s, briefly, we deserve to pick up from there. The whole point is reform, local reform. To get to local reform, to get to the basics of local reform, you have to end the big burden on reformers. Another example, uh, the Port Blast investigation. I think it's been almost half a year now that the investigation has stalled. It's paralyzed. Um, as far as I know, no momentum has been taken since October 14, where the Tayuni clashes paralyzed that investigation. That the investigation was moving anyway is debatable, but uh, let's just say that any momentum behind it stopped. You want to make sure that it's not stopped, and how do you do that? Anyone betting on replacing names in parliament or replacing names in the cabinet, or even at the top, the president, prime minister, and speaker, to think that they would be able to change the circumstances where Tarabitar could do more is foolish. They don't have the power, and no one will have the power to touch that issue so long as something like Hezbollah, the way it exists today, exists. You can't deal with these basic issues otherwise. And they're not basic. It's about justice, it's about impunity, it's about, it's about the future of this country, and whether or not this country survives. The language has to change from just talking about sovereignty or just talking about weapons to talking about policy, where Lebanon deserves a seat at the table, Lebanon deserves that table, and it's not the illegitimate leaders of this country that represent Lebanon at that table. It's not Hezbollah that goes to that table, or for that matter, Hezbollah's allies or nominal opponents. It's where civil society steps up and becomes the rightful alternative and the necessary opposition. And they deserve to be at that table and talk and make our case heard loud and clear. It's not being heard clearly. Um, and I think it's loud because it doesn't talk about Hezbollah or Iran. Uh, you can't talk about sovereignty and weapons, period, and leave it there. That's empty rhetoric. Or for that matter, and I disagree with a lot of people in, uh, in the civil society camp, you can't throw in names to mitigate this problem. In other words, you can't always say Samir Jaja and, Has and Hassan Nasrallah in the same sentence. It loses meaning. You can't say Riyadh Salemi and Hezbollah in the same sentence. It distracts. You can talk about anyone in this country, any, any issue. You can talk about any party. You can talk about any, anything. But they should not be thrown in together as though that would solve the issue. It makes everyone's burden sort of becomes parallel. That's, uh, that's pandering. That's pandering to Hezbollah. It's by assuming that they're an equal uh, part rather than an integral uh, structural um, machine that keeps the parts uh, together but in a very dysfunctional way. Um, it, it levels the playing field in a way that's unreal 
and it ignores everything that's happened. So um, I think that's the better way to talk about Iran and Hezbollah. The second thing is uh, I think the uncomfortable conversation regarding uh, the Sunni void. Sectarianism is an ugly discussion because it's an ugly situation. Um, and saying these words even makes me, it makes me uneasy, but there's no escaping it, that you can run around and look for any replacement, but for better or worse, regardless of what you think about him, regardless of how he obviously failed in his career, his political career, and maybe in other issues as well, Saad Hariri remains the natural Sunni leader of this country. His brother will not replace that. Uh, his father's opponents, the likes of Maksoumi, will never replace that either. Uh, or the usual suspects, these spare tires that come and go, including, including the current prime minister, they'll never fill that void. You can have temporary filler. Maybe you can have someone like Tamim Slim step in. You'll have a Faisal Karami-like person. Fuad Senyura said no this round. Um, Nawaf Slim doesn't want to take part. But uh, the overtly cautious types like Nawaf Slim or the loudest, most aggressive types like Fuad Makhzoumi. Um you can't escape inertia in this country. And it's a de facto situation that Saad Hadidi, so long as he remains alive, regardless of his exile, regardless of his uh, suspension from politics, he is still the natural Sunni leader. So how do you address that? It's a stupid uh, way forward to ignore that completely and simply assume that you can replace like that and run to people that have a tendency to say uh, the completely opposite things depending on which year they're talking. Or for that matter, they stay silent about an issue until the opportunity comes up and they're the loudest, most aggressive uh, voice in the room. So uh, the yearning to have someone like Mehsoumi in, in the Sarai I think is a mistake. Um, I think he is anti-Hadidi more than anti-Hezbollah's weaponry. And uh, I think... Uh, I sense this is posturing to become prime minister under Hezbollah's terms. I don't think rhetoric or, or volume uh, means that you're really against the status quo. I think it's trying to uh, navigate and survive in the status quo. I wouldn't uh, rush to him for answers. And uh, I think they're not the same character. Obviously, they have different, uh, different intentions, maybe, maybe, although I'm not sure about that. Uh, but someone like Shab al-Nahas, who's uh, quiet, or let's say overtly cautious, extra sensitive, to the issue of Hezbollah and finds a very 
almost uh, academic and complicated way to discuss the state before Hezbollah, which sounds like a very, very uh, highbrow version of Hezbollah's propaganda. Um, he's, I think, posturing himself for some power under their terms. Now, one is screaming and shouting, the other one is staying quiet. Um, I think it depends on which community feels most threatened. And even though we're all sharing this burden together, and there's no point in saying that the Shia are suffering less or more when it comes, I think all of us are suffering in different ways when it comes to the issue of Hezbollah. Lebanon is suffering, period. But the Sunni situation, or the boycott, or whatever you want to call it, um, it's reflective of the way the Christians left politics in the 90s. Not by choice. The Christians were uh, forced to find alternatives to the Lebanese forces, and Samir Jaja was imprisoned from 94 until 2005, and Michel Aoun, who was sent abroad to Paris from the early 90s until 2005. We had the replacements. We had Elias Hrewi, we had Emil Lahoud, and we had uh, Kateib in those years as a more or less pro-Syrian party, a pro-Assad party. Um, they lost, the, the Christian community exited politics, and the replacements stood up on Syria's terms. I think the replacements today, filling the void that is left by Hariri's departure, will find a, f a familiar path where they have to accept the status quo and work within it. That does not do any good to the equilibrium that communities depend on in this country, and that clearly stunts reform. Because these characters, despite their rhetoric, they scream and shout all the time about everything. Their capability to reform is zero, so long as that huge machine is in the way. The good guys and the bad guys end up trapped in the same situation. So, how do you address it? If you're going to talk about policy, rather than running behind uh, a very uh, calculated, uh, quick access to a cabinet post, let's say, with a Mahsoumi uh, government, or for that matter, a Hariri post where you're guaranteed something in return for supporting uh, his position. But let's say the replacements, whoever they are, the names don't matter. Um, how do you address the issue? I think it's the same story in that Lebanon... It's equilibrium, it's communal problems. They have to be solved, and the path to get there is in the deal where Lebanon is let go, so that these exiled leaders are given the opportunity to fail on their terms in Lebanon, not fail because of a machine that puts them into a pandering position and an eventual uh, degradation of their, of their legacy and their career. I think you want to invite communities to reform, and you want leadership within those communities. That's what I'm talking about. You want them to reform. Um, and if they fail at that, the replacement has to be legitimate, not illegitimate. So that's the same story. It's the same path. You end Lebanon's larger problem, and you end up with a situation where neither the Syrians could kick out the Christians, 
from politics or Hezbollah uh, paralyzes the Sunnis from politics or that any community in the future, you don't want the Shia later to end up in a bad situation either. You want everyone to find their place once more. And you want a Senate, you want reform, you want equilibrium, you want power sharing the way Lebanon was designed, and you want to reform that. That takes time. You can't just flip the switch. You can't throw away the whole enterprise and the experiment that's hundreds of years old. Even though modern Lebanon is a century old, Lebanon, the way it exists, the way it's understood, is a very, very old experiment. It takes centuries. And it won't happen overnight. You can't just throw it away. If you could, it would have happened. And it hasn't happened. So, Hezbollah, Iran, the Sunni void. Um, I think the third step, which is very hard to sell, is don't emphasize elections because... They're integral to the system. They're, it's a necessity. They should happen anyway. But don't emphasize elections and don't put the burden on uh, candidates that they'll be able to enter power and change things from within. Um, I think a measured expectation is healthier. Cosmetic changes in, in the outer fringe, outer realm, that is not really under Hezbollah's oversight, that could happen. And I think success should be measured there. Um, but the language of current candidates insisting that this is a non-sectarian, unified coalition and unified opposition, um, I think that language distracts and derails from reality. The most unpopular... Uh, chastised, condemned, insulted, blamed political parties in this country remain the biggest political parties in this country. And even when they exit politics, the void is clear. I'm talking about future, for example. Uh, you can curse a, an individual for months on end who represents a political party, like Tayyar Watanil Hur, and maybe they'll lose... 15-20% of their base, maybe. That's after two and a half years of direct insults and nationwide unrest and uprising. They remain a very important political party. Um, so the Lebanese forces, I mean, people, people talk about them as though they are the most sectarian party in Lebanon. Let's say they are. Let's say they're narrow and very communitarian, and they identify themselves with a certain brand of Lebanese identity. Um, they're here to stay, and they're actually gaining votes. They're going to be winning more seats in the next election. That's the regime, and that's the old inertia, and that's how Lebanese still identify themselves. I think the insistence on using this unity language when it's not there, I think doesn't really work. I think it's, it, sometimes it looks uncomfortable where there's October 17 parties that do their best to almost force it that they are cross-sectarian. That's fine. They should try. It's worth experimenting. But uh, I think 
insisting that that's the reality on the street and that's how Lebanon is, I, I think it doesn't work, it doesn't resonate. Um, there's maybe a few examples where it's tested and it seems to resonate a bit. You could argue that Mumfid uh, is maybe the most cross-sectarian, uh, one of the newer parties to emerge that is perhaps the most cross-sectarian in the country. Maybe, I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming it is one of, if not the most. Um, we talk about it all the time and we talk about their, their policies, but and at the end of the day, their footprint is fairly small. It's not, uh, it's not where I think inertia is. But it's worth trying. You can go down that road, you can insist on it, but it, I don't think it resonates in that do not dismiss the sectarianism that shapes us. Um, sectarianism is not always a bad word. It perhaps feels, it feels wrong at the moment given how bad things are. And that even something that is just a definition, it's just a description of, of the way Lebanon is composed. Um, it can be neutral word. It can be a good word if you want to talk about pluralism and diversity. Um, but it's a word that still matters in Lebanon, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't dismiss it too soon. Uh, the the rhetoric of secularism, or a civil state, or a secular state. I just don't think that matches where Lebanon is, despite the well intentions and the hard work of many in civil society to offer that structural alternative. Maybe, maybe it'll happen later. Lebanese should not be shy of that if that is to happen. But before you go down that road, that's the, that's the opposite end of reform. That's when you've gone through the whole process of reflection and social pact issues, and you're rethinking Lebanon way before you get there. You have to at least pick up from what's on the table already. And that's reform. The first steps, not the last ones. I mean, Ta'if talked about the Syrian withdrawal, talked about militia disarmament, and it talked about a Senate. The Syrian withdrawal took 15 years. Disarmament never happened. There's no Senate. So let's at least finish what has been already delivered as a way forward rather than throwing everything away and trying to start from scratch all the time. It just doesn't happen. Countries take time to build. You can't throw away, you just can't throw away centuries of history because of a popular uprising. It doesn't work. I think that's it. So, this Sunday, I'll have Naji Abu Khalil on the podcast the political director of the National Bloc, Kitlil Watani. And uh, thank you for letting me take 20-some minutes of your time and trying to figure things out because um, there's a lot of wishful thinking in this country. And it comes from decent voices. And I don't want, I really don't want empty rhetoric hope for the sake of hope or talking for the sake of talking. It's time to push forward policies that work and to end our nightmare once and for all.
Thank you.